0: real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, where this week I'm joined by one of my broadcasting heroes who I'm also very lucky enough to call a friend. Yeah. When we usually get together, I often think I should bring oxygen to have on standby because we barely draw (laughs) breath. Such is our shared passion for a good conversation. He is a master of his trade, as slick as they come, and a consummate king of conversation. So rather than bring any friends along, we've decided to keep it just between us today.
2: Because we're not shut up. Because we're not shut up. So
1: you have got coming your way. Three glasses of wine (gasps) and three questions (gasps) and it is my pleasure to have one of the country's best news anchors and TV hosts, full stop,
2: Eamon Holmes. Kate Thornton, thank you very much indeed. And I thought to myself, why is she not my wife at this point? Did you? I I just thought, why have I not got that tied up? Why is that not? This really annoys me. And I look at it and. The
1: I love that you did it out of being annoyed. I was annoyed. I was annoyed.
2: I mean, nowadays in this caring snowflake society, they would say, Are you okay? We'll get a counsellor to speak to you and deal with you, and I would be suffering post traumatic stress disorder for the rest of my life. But what did I get? Detention. <laughs>
1: I'm even making you drink today, and you yeah, never making,
2: drink. I don't drink. No, I don't drink. But for you, I'm going to make an exception. Why don't you drink? Well, I'm, I'm curious. Well, when, uh, yeah, and I'm curious sometimes. I ask myself why I don't drink, because people think it's odd. Yeah. Like people say, he's a bit odd, a bit odd. But people never know I don't drink. The amount of people who tell me or tell my wife, oh, I went on a pub crawl with your husband. We got lashed. We were floored. We were this, we were that. And Ruth knows it never happened <laughs> because I don't drink, and I can't honestly say I've ever been drunk in my life. I've been maybe tiddly a couple of times, but I've never been never no. been drunk or out of control. And you say why? Well, uh, one day I was on Radio Two, and I was um, interviewing a psychiatrist, <laughs> and he said he said to me, we started talking about um, you know, he said to me, "Do you drink?" And I say. And I said, uh, no, I don't. He said, that's because you don't like to be out of control. Mm. I, sa- I said, no, it's also it's because I have a, a fear of vomiting, which is called?
1: metaphobia."
2: The very thing, emetophobia. Yeah. Uh, which a lot of people listening will suddenly say, I have a fear of vomiting too. Yeah. And, but is uh, it like
1: a real fear? Like A a ooh! real fear.
2: A real fear. And he's, I mean, I would do anything. I would have a sore tummy for years. I don't care what end it comes out, as long as it doesn't come out my mouth, right? <laughs> so, no, not, not interested. Uh, And he basically said, that's a control thing as well. He said, you do not want to be out of control. And Mm -hmm. when you're throwing up, you're out of control. And when I went through school and you do that thing in your teenage years where all your mates want to, went to a boys only school and they, you know, they all wanted to get rat assed and and drink. And I thought, I see nothing attractive about this. They're lying in the corner throwing up. That's what they're doing. And I became a barman when I was about 15. And and I worked um, in a bar, which is a very interesting story. And I really thought that's going to be my chosen profession because I was good at it. You'd be great. I was good at it. And I I learned to chat and talk because I was probably quite shy. And you'd be cleaning the counter and you'd be saying, yeah, Jimmy, how's things? How's, oh, I'll tell you, I'm a teacher in a school and I do this and do that. And you talk and you find out things and you learn to be efficient and you learn always to talk and work at the same time, do two or three things Great at Great training, actually, Great for training. what you became. I got a job as a reporter at 19 on farming Ulster. Even though I was a city boy, and knew nothing about farming. My journalism <laughs> lecturer said to me, I rule one, find out, find out. And I've always found it to be, whether it's been about sport, whether it's been about soap operas, whether it's been about pop music, whatever it is, you've got to find out, right? Mm-hmm. And so I found out about farming, and it was two of the happiest years of my life. But the thing was, I still worked in the bar, because at 21, I was then given the job of anchoring a programme called Good Evening Ulster, which was the tea time news programme.
1: Which was huge, right? Huge. It was fronted by Gloria Hannaford.
2: You were in the middle of the troubles in Northern Ireland. Yeah. You had the Paisley's, the Jerry Adams, all these yeah. people to the forefront. These were the interviews you were doing. And it was it wasn't like, you know, presenting the news from Norwich or presenting the news from Aberdeen or whatever. It was it just was a war situation. And uh, I had to grow up very quickly, and I had to sort of at twenty-one act as if I was forty-one. I always felt. But then Pat says to me one night, he said to me, "Eamon, you sit there and you present that news and you do all that every night. Then you come in here and you serve Jerome Kelly his pint. Well, you know you can't keep on doing this." I said, "Pat, you say that that TV business that'll never last. <laughs> that'll never last. I need something to fall back on." And he had, my, I had my bow tie on, and he just pulled it off. He says, "At last," he said, "At last, take your coat off and come out the back." Good man. And he turned over two crates, two wooden crates, of, of which beer bottles would go into. And we sat on them. And he said, "What do you have?" And he always have a connoisseur's orange juice. It's a fizzy orange in Northern Ireland, not not Fanta, and it's called Club Orange, and it's made with real orange. And he pts, opens one for me and him because he didn't drink either. We poured it on ice, which always makes things taste nicer. He toasted me. We drank that. He shook hands with me. And that was it, I was out the door. That was the end of my bar career. Wow. It was the end of that. And, 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 and what I a ha- nice guy. What was a brilliant guy, great great hero.
1: Are you ready for your first question? Yeah. Okay. Question number one. If you were to choose a few seminal days from your past to relive again, what days would you choose and why are they so important?
2: Gosh. Um, God, that's going to make me emotional.
1: Uh, oh, I don't want to make you emotional.
2: I think the first time I clapped eyes on Old Trafford, Theatre of Dreams, football, was with my dad. The year was 1972, and in those days there were turnstiles, and it was so chaotic, unbelievable. We had to be... um, We got tickets, which I think we bought from Touts. so me and one of my brothers were in... The away end, my dad and another brother were in the Stretford end, opposite ends of the pitch. Everybody was standing and swaying. It was scary beyond belief, but it was amazing. It was the first time I ever heard a Newcastle accent. And they were all speaking in this language that I didn't understand. (laughs) Away the lads, away the lads. What's that mean? What's that mean? Away the (laughs) lads. Exotic. you know, exotic. It was amazing. It was (laughs) amazing it's a great escape and I don't understand, I'm not a fanatic, I'm not stupid, I don't have tattoos all over me or, you know, uh, and, and you know, my family would be first, before football, just about, but. <laughs>
1: you don't have to lie.
2: <laughs> but, but my family are part of that because you have very few things in common with your children, say, or other members of your family. Mm. You know, you may not share the same music, you may not share the, the same taste of fashion or politics or whatever. But my whole family circle are Manchester United Red.
1: Had you ever come across something like a ticket tap before? Because that in itself must have seemed quite exotic.
2: Listen... That was the least of our worries, let me say. We arrived on the uh, the Liverpool ferry from Belfast, the overnight ferry, and we got into uh, Liverpool docks and were arrested what? under the Prevention of Terrorism Act, right, Why? in 1972. <laughs> Why? Because my dad hadn't got any identification on him. He hadn't got a driving licence or anything. So Special Branch were standing there and they pulled you <laughs> aside and they and then and they kept my father there and they said, right, you we're You must detaining. have been terrified. Absolutely terrified. Ten years of age, we're standing there and we well, what's happening? And they're my dad and and we're standing there like you know we're just arrested detainees you know I love when people do this thing what would you know about life what would you know oh god you think oh dry your eyes so we arrested at um, <laughs> arrested at Liverpool docks for this and luckily on the same boat is our fantastic GP Dr Paul McKeown a
1: man of note
2: a man of note and basically I remember this raw he got into and he said I have taken the Hippocratic Oath and you doubt my word this man is who he says he is I how dare you? And he was such a edu- the doctor. He was such wow. an educated man, and he squealed the face of these two cops that were standing wow. there. And uh, so, anyway, special branch, had to release releases. And uh, eventually, day two, cinema, cinema, cinema. Because I always remember my mum. You know, she was a stay-at-home housewife. My dad was a good labouring man. And they were very traditional. She knew what her role was. He knew what his role was. He basically earned the money, threw it in a a crystal fruit bowl in the centre of the table. And he'd say to her, right, girl, you take what you need. And then she took whatever money she needed and she handed him back his pocket money. His allowance. His allowance (laughs) to go to the pub or whatever, whatever it was. And one of the things my dad was so brilliant at was looking after his children. And to this day, I just never understand men who, when they bring a child into the world, they don't want to be with it. I don't even, I couldn't even be a sperm donor. I couldn't understand how you could bring 50, 100 little demons yeah. into the world, male or female, and then never want contact with them again, mm. never see them. Do they walk like me, talk like me, look like me? Why, you know, I really, that just does my head in. Can't, mm. can't get that. Uh, but, you know, my dad, my mum would say, right, I'm making the tea, the dinner, whatever we called it. Um, you take them out and tire them out or whatever so we'd march up hills and go to parks and all in the back of his carpet van the magic carpet being thrown (laughs) about no seat belts anything on and usually Saturday afternoon was to go to the cinema he'd bring us to the cinema a place called The Capitol on the Antrim Road in Belfast which no longer exists is now Tesco such as the way of the world and (laughs) in there I saw James Bond Mary Poppins You know, Peter Pan, um, The Magnificent Seven. So really, it was a gateway to you for different worlds. Escape. 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 This was usually all pre-troubles as well, Mm. before it really got bad in, in Belfast. And so cinema... Was a tremendous escape, and to this day makes me tingle cinema. I'm not a huge fan of reality cinema. I'm not. I like escapism. I'll sit and watch Star Trek till the cows come home. You know, I will I will love things that transport me from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Otherworldly. I like Interesting action Interesting bo- both
1: of your choices so far have been based around escape.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. Um, okay, of all of the films that you loved to go and see in that picture house... Which is the one that means the most to you?
2: I think for pure escapism, sitting close up to the screen watching a Disney movie, and there are two that spring to mind. I say movie there because actually I usually deliberately don't say movie. I, I use the Belfastism of film. Film Film. <laughs> film. And I, I hate movie. Film. I hate movie. I think movie it's such an American thing. It's yeah. a film, it's a film. You know. But I always remember two films Peter Pan mm. with Captain Hook in it and the crocodile yeah and you know how, how Captain Hook lost his, his hand to yeah. the crocodile and oddly enough I remember Mary Poppins with Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke oh uh. An incredible um, film. Except the most boring bit in it was an awful song called Feed the Bag. Oh yeah.
1: Tuppence a bag It Does win John a bit, doesn't it? And
2: I fell asleep during that bit. Did I you? remember that. But I still woke up and I still thought and that made me go and read the book not in reverse people say read the book and then see the movie I was always of the view of watch the film and then read the book oh
1: I've always been the other way around yeah
2: so I watched the film and then I went and is it is it it P.L. Travers or Mary Poppins yeah P.L. Travers Uh, and I remember and I went to read that book and then that I could envisage it all I could see it all because it had fed your imagination. It had fed my imagination.
1: But that was an exceptionally good film, and Peter Pan. And again, you're talking about stepping out of a regular world into yes. another world. Yeah. There's a great uh, escape yeah. in you.
2: And, and you know, it, it is strange that when you look at Mary Poppins, there are the the animations, and then there's also the real uh, actors yeah. doing doing their bits. So there is that crossover. So there is that romantic in me, I suppose as well. I, I really thank my father for introducing me to the cinema and enjoying that escape because I always remember in the Capitol cinema when you push the saloon doors open to go out to the foyer, all this light came flooding in and <laughs> you realised it's only four o'clock on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. You know, but you were you were away you completely broke the spell. in another world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, day number
2: three You know, all my relatives all lived in, you know, two ups, two downs, very small mm-hmm. uh, houses and things. And when I think how we all crammed in there how they all smoked and drank, <laughs> laughed and sang. They just laughed. All I can remember is laughter and singing and the smell of cigarettes and the smell of stout and the smell of, <laughs> it wasn't wine in those days or anything no, like that, too it fancy. Was stout and it was, you know, like vodka. The women's, women would have had a vodka and a lemonade or something in it or whatever it is. but. I'll just show you happy pictures of my Aunt Sheila, my Aunt Phyllis, and my Aunt May, and my mum, and my Uncle Jackie, and my Uncle Tommy, my Uncle Gus. And, you know, and there were so many uncles. I could see so many uncles, <laughs> you know, and on my dad's side, and my mum's side, whatever. And I realised now, when me and my brothers, and we were all stuck in here, and they're all singing and dancing, and, you know, TV's not the centre of it, whatever. And we were sitting there saying, When are we going home? When are we going home? And, you know, you'd have uncles who would take you aside and they'd tell you stories about their jobs, what they did. And one was a sailor and he would tell us about all his adventures around the world and things. And I look back at those days now and I think if I could create uh, a day and have them all together again, that would be... That would be magic. That would be magical, yeah. Mm.
1: We used to do that on a Saturday. We'd go to my dad's parents um, and it was a two up, two down. Mm -hmm. There were 18 grandchildren, right? Then all the mums and dads, and, and 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 the pools would be on, so we'd all have to shut up for the pools
2: because yeah, you know yeah. the pools draw, pools yes, draw. Yeah.
1: Everyone smoked, yeah. everyone drank, and the kids, and we were like a, like a human um, totem pole because we yes. had to sit on top of each other. Yeah. We would have a bag of broken biscuits
2: yeah. to keep us quiet. It was your entertainment, but magical absolutely magical I think that's what's called family and that's what's called community Mm. and listen they would have had their problems that we didn't know about but um, you know it was they were more simple times and I think the lovely thing was for people like me aspiration was bred from within you that when you come from very humble, ordinary... I mean, I never knew we didn't have anything, but we didn't have anything, but we had... Isn't that interesting? I didn't either. It's just because
1: nobody had anything. So we we were an equalish playing
2: field. But also, everything we had was clean and tidy, and my mother would always say, don't be like them down the street. Soap and water doesn't cost much. And that's all she would ever say. (laughs) Who were those down the street? Well, whoever. There was always people who, you know, mightn't have been right up to standards. And all I remember (laughs) is my mother. You know, she would wash you, wash you, wash you, clean you, dress you, tidy you, whatever... And then you would go out and then she would lick her handkerchief and all around your face. you go... <laughs> <laughs> and that, that would happen all the time. You know, me and my brothers, we just knocked ten bells at each other <laughs> all the time. So my poor mum. Yeah, she used to go... At the start of the school holidays, she used to go down to the local hardware shop and she would get a bamboo cane and she'd hang it on the wall and she'd say, right, these are all off for ten weeks. In Ireland, we were off for ten weeks. Of school, ten? Ten weeks, yeah. And she'd have the, the cane hung up and she said... If I have to reach that down, if you make one noise, I'm not sticking you lot. Do this, da, da, da. and we'd go round and play football in the back garden, and we would smash the window all the oh, time. The ball God. would go through the window, and my father you was must have constantly. frozen with fear. Oh, but no, do you know what? My dad would understand. My dad would go, "Sure, the children are only enjoying themselves." That's all he'd say. Wow, you know.
1: But she literally had her own rod of steel, yeah, by see, which to rule the bamboo yeah, oh, stick. absolutely.
2: I would use it. You know, listen, it was... All I can say was they were crazy days, they were happy days, they were about community.
1: Yeah. Day four?
2: Um, maybe school. Which maybe one? School. So I had a very happy time in primary school, but then the thing was, the 11-plus came. and You were picked off, weren't you? You were a super smart kid. Well, there were only six in our class passed. I, well, no, I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was super smart. I did enough to get by. Listen, there were no books in our house. We had the Bible... We had uh, a book on John F. Kennedy because he was regarded as a saint in Ireland. <laughs> really, and there were pictures. There were pictures of the Sacred Heart on our wall, uh, the Virgin Mary, and John and Jackie Kennedy.
1: Really? Right, those were, Those were the
2: pictures that you would have uh, at home. And you really sort of have to be Irish to understand that. Yeah. Uh, there was also a book... There was the... Um, What's that encyclopedia you used to get? Britannica. 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 There was probably, we probably applied for one of those, never paid for it and kept it. You know, you (laughs) had a one on trial. But six lads from from my school, uh, Holy Family Primary School in that year, 1971, passed the 11 plus, of which I was one of them. Wow. It might have been eight. It might have been eight.
1: But to that actually, when you look back, that, that choice of school and the fact that you made the grade with that, that was a real game changer for you God in terms it. of the path that you took in life.
2: I, I went to a school, state school, which I only realised how special it was when I came to England and you realised what a private school was. So we mm. got, for free education, what actually cost us, it was a called a maintained school because it was a religious school. So you had to pay £99 a year, which might as well have been 20000 to my dad. Mm. And I remember we had to go through the shame of... Daddy would say I can only pay for one of you so my brother Leonard went and me and had to make this case to the school that we can pay for one now but you're going to have to wait six months or so to pay for Eamon you know whatever and I always remember that was a bit of a disgrace you know to have to do that but the school itself um, was the most amazing school with the most Amazing alumni, I mean, of which you know a lot of people wouldn't understand, but famous authors and artists and actors like Kieran Hines and footballers like Martin O'Neill um, would have come through those doors, and you know a lot of uh, clergy and. Um, but basically, you know, the the president of the college, he went on to be the the bishop of the diocese. Um, he called me in, in my lower sixth year, and um, he said to me, uh, "What would you?" What are your intentions, Holmes? You have not passed your O level mathematics, and he was—he had an MSc in maths from Oxford, and um, he said, um, "So your position at the school is now discretionary as to whether you'll get back for A levels." And I'd say, and I'd say, um, "Why? How come you didn't pass your O level maths?" And I said, um, "Father, I could do arithmetic really well, like in the barn things. That was like no difficulty. But all that algorithms and rubbish, uh, algebra—that's about that right. So." Um, I said, "That's because, Father, I want to be a journalist." And he looked at me and he said, "Do you not want to enter one of the professions?" <laughs> <And> I went. <laughs> and I'm looking. He said, "Well, do you not want to be a priest, a doctor in medicine? Uh, do you want to be a scientist? Do you want even through the whole thing." And I'm going, "A lawyer," you know. I'm going, "No, Father, I want to be a journalist." And he go. Very strange, putting all your eggs in one basket, and I <laughs> argued my case, and he said to me at the end of this, he said to what me, "This
1: is our argument to raise with you though well
2: he said to me at the end right he said i 've thought about this, and i 've adjudicated that you can 't come back to the college if you sit your uh, mathematics again in lower sixth year and I sat it again, I failed it again doesn 't matter it didn 't really matter it didn 't really matter, matter, but I excelled in English, everything was a a a in English and uh uh, basically, I came back to do a Songs of Praise at the school, um, say 10, 15 years ago, and the current headmaster, Dr. Moran, uh, he gave me, he went to the files and he said, look what I found in your file. And there was a picture of me taken at the co-op in York Street, um, you know, one of those uh, photo booth pictures. Yeah. So when you were 11 and you applied and they had this record which they wrote things under. And Father Walsh had written beside me the most tenacious Um, an argumentative young man I've come across in many a year (laughs) Um, although I don't agree with him he made an outstanding case for studying journalism and I, I am inclined to believe he will go far in this profession. Oh. So therefore, I am readmitting him to the college.
1: Wow! So and you won your moment with him. I won my
2: moment with him, and he was the sternest, incredible disciplinarian. graduate.
1: I mean, you were—that's pluck in itself. Standing up to a man of 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 those kind oh, of yeah. you know. I mean, I would imagine he had a lot of letters after his name. A
2: lot of letters, and a very holy and spiritual man as well. He basically looked like Count Dracula in many ways, and he had these, um, this gown that he, that he wore. <laughs> and uh, priests in the morning would read what are called matins, their early morning prayers. And our college has a massive long driveway. And when I was, you know, 14 or 15 or so, coming to school in the morning, and, and this particular morning our bus was hijacked. On the Ampton Road, and this guy come on, and say "We're commandeering this bus for the Irish Republican Army. Everybody off! Everybody off!" Right, so you, people get off. and This guy's wearing a mask, but he starts. Yeah, yeah, and he starts sprinkling petrol all <gasps> over the uh, the bus. Whatever, while you're on it. While we're on it, so we get, we get off. And, and you're then, what
1: 14 at this age? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And they throw a <gasps> petrol bomb poof, into the the bus. Right. No.
1: The bus while you're on it.
2: Off. Yeah, we you no. Know, they let us off. Let oh. us off. Right. So the bus burns across the road. Right. <laughs> And so we basically walked the next mile and a half. It wasn't too far away from the college. But the, th- the thing about the college was they had these gates. It was an absolutely oasis in the, in the centre of Troubles. All around us, bombs, explosions, smoke in the air, whatever. But however, you got to the college, you went up the driveway, the gates were closed, right. and Father Walsh is standing at the top of the, um, the driveway reading his matins. And he looks at you and you say, oh, I'm dead, and I'm absolutely dead. And you look at him and you say, <sighs> and I'm puffing and panting. And I go, Father, Father, Father. Why you late, homes? And I went, Father, Father, our bus was hijacked at the top of the New Lodge Road and it was burnt and da-da-da-da and they hijacked the bus and we've all had to run down here and it's burning. You can see the smoke there, Father. And he looks at me and he goes, Detention. No! <laughs> Don't, I mean, nowadays in this caring snowflake society, they would say, are you OK? We'll get a counsellor to speak to you and deal with you. And I would be suffering post-traumatic stress disorder for the rest of my life. But what did I get? Detention. <laughs> there you are. Detention for the IRA hijacking oh, my, my bus. God. So it was my fault. basically. It's
1: quite incredible what you lived through.
2: Mm-hmm. But if I could create that day for you, I would say to be with my band of brothers. I look ah. at that and I think you playing football with them, feeling like, you know, a, a band of brothers is in a way I can describe it to you. you. know you Your mates, you were a team. It must be like being in the army or mm. something like that. But, you know, we all called each other by our surnames. Uh, we all had a, a rough banter, uh, cynical humour, you know, but laughed would be friends to this day.
1: Okay, you ready for question number two? Would you mind sharing with me? Because uh, I think this is a wonderful story, and it has great comedy mm. stitched through it. Is is your proposal to Ruth?
2: My proposal to her? Yeah.
1: When you asked her to marry oh, you? Oh yeah. At the races? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just in
2: <guess> case you'd forgotten.
1: <laughs> so, amongst so, when you met Ruth, I'll yeah. just give people a bit of a backstory here. You you recently divorced or you were divorcing you uh, had, had, uh, yeah we were, you, se- we
2: were separated yeah. you were separated
1: mm-hmm. um you had kind of vowed that you would never do that again you would never marry again
2: being a boy from an all-boy family from an all-boy school i had an idealized vision of women and the ideal woman in my life was doris day beautiful pretty big eyes a bit feisty um, as well. And when I first met Ruth Langsford, I looked and I thought, oh my God, she is like the most attractive. She had a blue blazer, she had a white shirt on her, so she looked as if Where she was. Where was she when she you put, met her? She was her? on a street corner. She looked, she was you on the street corner. Didn't on the corner. telly? No, no, no. I was asked, because I don't drink, getting back to that theme again, all my mates at GMTV and whatever, they would say, Aiman will be taxi, Aiman will be taxi. So Aiman spent his whole life being taxi for other Driving. people. So I was driving one night to pick up um, our weather girl, Sally Mean, and uh, Sally's friend from Plymouth had been up, come up to stay with us Said, said, oh, my friend Ruth, you'll love her, she'll come up, whatever, whatever. And so I'm driving and Sally lived in a, an apartment block and she had sent Ruth out, to the street to wave me down. When I was coming down the street and I was in a very sad time in my life and, um, and I was driving down and I looked at her from a distance and I just went, like this is absolutely true, and I went, wow, where would you find a woman like that? Ah. And I turned the corner left, indicated and parked and that woman walked up to my car window and I'm thinking, and she said, Amen, hello, my name's Ruth, whatever, whatever. And I was love struck straight away. Instant. But my mistake was that I assumed I'm finding someone like it with the personality of Doris Day or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> I mean, nothing prepared me for the education <laughs> I was about to get. She would start a fight in an empty room. Not with well, only with me. I mean, she's a complete people pleaser with everyone else. So I call her the lovely Ruth. Because everywhere I go, people say, Ruth's lovely, Ruth's lovely, Ruth's lovely. She'd try and live with Ruth, see how lovely she is. But I mean, she is lovely. Vice, she is lovely. She's a very decent human being. Wonderful. But she's irrational. She's easily frightened. Amazing morals. She's a good person. Huge heart. Yeah. Smart yeah. mind. Uh, and uh, all those, all that, and above, granted. But she's very difficult to live with, <laughs> and she suffers from claustrophobia, agoraphobia, phobia, yeah, You name say, it. She, she, Homesophobia. She has it. So basically, my role in life is to look after her. She's very, but she's not. She's not. When I say that, I. I watch her from afar. She doesn't need me in her life. She's very strident, very independent, but I know what she needs me for and I'm there for what she needs me for. So ours is a very equal relationship. It took me a long time to realize who she was and what she was and what her insecurities were, and also her potential and to realize this woman has absolutely no confidence in herself, which always amazes me, always Mm. amazes me because for some strange, freaky reason, I got through the net. I'm not overly confident, but I'm confident with a small c. And I sort of think I don't let people with better qualifications stand in my way or more experience. I'm respectful to people above mm. me usually, um, but I am a leader, I'm not a follower. In this business, Kate, um, you know, men and women, you know, I would see, I would see people who would eat their young. To get old, I, I really would. I'm not. People think it's I'm joking. So that true. I have never seen. So I'm
1: laughing. It's so bleach. Yes.
2: You're laughing. I tell you why you're laughing because I'm saying it. it. You've seen it, and I'm saying it because you know, everybody's sweet and kind, and everybody mm. knifes everybody else in the back and the front. And no, it's and a night
1: of a thousand knives. It's a isn't night it? of
2: a thousand knives. And betrayal and yeah. people with no vision. People who, I'll go back to the theme again, who make things that are very easy seem very hard. Mm. Uh, people who either sleep their way to the top or find some other way to get to the top. and
1: always, It's always just, well, it's really smart people. That you think, if you were just smart with a little bit of hard work rather than just being political and agenda-driven, you'd be amazing anyway.
2: You'd be amazing anyway. I think talent stands out, by and large. To me, it's quite obvious. Just be
1: talented, don't be a dick. He's got
2: it, she's got it, he hasn't got it, she hasn't got it. It's quite quite obvious to me. I think, what's the debate about this? She's good, he's not. That's it. But Ruth just
1: doesn't have that cutthroat. And yet, what I love, Eamon, is I look at her now and she is the queen of daytime.
2: The thing about Ruth and I... Wherever we go, we spend our lives hearing the following statement. You two are so lovely. You're just the way you are on TV. Which make us think, what are the rest of them like? If we stop and do a selfie, if we stop and talk to people, if we are approachable, who who are all these people that aren't approachable? Then they begin to tell you. Mm. And you think, what, but they're not even on the radar as personalities. Why would they, why the further down the chain you are, do you act more important I
1: don't know yeah, well, yeah but when it came to actually proposing to Ruth I think she maybe I'm speaking for her here and I shouldn't um, had she given up the ghost on hoping that you might no.
2: no you see this is the thing that I didn't know about Ruth right so you look at Ruth and you think oh she you know in that girly way she'll want to dress in the the big den all the rest not in the slightest not she's bothered she's the biggest tomboy absolutely not bothered it was me who wanted the the marriage
1: so it was the other way round oh, Bob yeah. pardon me yeah, yeah
2: no 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 no, and
1: I mean, how did you propose then? How did you do well, it? I,
2: you know, I was I was in this uh, box uh, at Chel- at Cheltenham, your hometown. Absolutely, Just, right? I've
1: told you a million times. You can always use my mum and dad's driveway. You don't have to pay for parking. No,
2: lovely, lovely part of the world. It is lovely isn't it? part of the world. Yeah. And um, I know it very, very well. And um, so there we are, Presby Park Racecourse, and. Um, we're at this box, and basically say there are 12 people in this box, well, 11 of them are men, right? And they're all talking, I can't remember, I think we were invited by a bank or something, and uh, we uh, these people have flown in by helicopters, there was a big match at Old Trafford that night in the, in the European Cup, and uh, they were flying on from Cheltenham by helicopter to Manchester that night and whatever. And they say, yeah, when you want to come in, come here, come here, oh, whatever, whatever, we're just back from this and we do this. And they were all guys of a certain age. They are all sort of in their 50s, I would have thought. 45 plus. And uh, all all very confident, all well fueled with drink and whatever it is. And they were all around my wife. And she's loving it and she's winning. Who's somebody. not your
1: wife at this point?
2: She's not my wife at this point. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and I thought to myself, why is she not my wife at this point? Did you? I just I thought, why have I not got that tied up. Why is that not? This really annoys me. And I look at her and... The, <laughs> I love that you
1: did it out of being annoyed.
2: I was annoyed. I was annoyed. <laughs> and the thing about me, I would always say this. I would always say I love Ruth far more than Ruth loves me. But she would say, how oh, do you know how a person feels? And so she doesn't she, disqualify it, she just changes the question. <laughs> she's just a bit more, she's more English. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, she, she's not like me. I mean, we're very emotional, very sentimental people. Um, and I'm from a very cement, sem- sentimental, emotional family. She's more stiff upper lip. She's from an army family. But I totally believe that she loves me and adores me. Um, I still would think I love and adore her maybe a bit more. But um, so I went outside and I started texting six pages to her. Six, started, pages, six, six of pages of text? text. tell her much I love her and uh, would she marry me? And... We then get into While
1: she's in the box, yeah. being kind of yeah. swarmed Wooden by these,
2: loving it all, quaffing away, whatever. So she's you're doing. stood
1: outside thinking, I've got to put yeah. this right, and these My are the Gwen, reasons she why. Doesn't, she
2: doesn't look sideways at me, she hasn't even read it, so she goes back to the car. When eventually the day comes to an end, and I'm saying, Have you, you looked at your message No, I'm not bothering looking at it. I said, Well, look at your phone. Look at your phone. No, I'm not bothering. She gets in the back of the car. Fortunately, we have a driver that's bringing us back to London, so eventually I get her to look at her phone. So she looks at her phone, and then I could see this tear coming down her Aww. her eye, and then I get a text back, which just goes, yes. Aww. So I said to her, it was great, you must have kept that text, darling. Where is that text now? I changed my phone, I didn't know how to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's no record of that whatsoever. Did you not keep it? No, I don't know what happened to it. I don't know what happened Aww. to it. But, it was, but I mean, I mean, she calls me her poet. I mean, I do. I, I I wouldn't hold back on how much I would tell her I love her. She's a very difficult person to live with. She's a very, <laughs> she is. In what she, way? It, because she's illogical with a lot of things. She's very vociferous about things. I mean, last night we had this fight that um, twice twice there were cars on the m25 braked in front of me twice right, right. and i had 50 yards or so to to break. break but somehow this was my fault right but that was only really because she's frightened she's frightened right because she wants to she wants to drive she's not driving because she's had a drink right so she's not <laughs> driving so she always she's a control freak right <laughs> So the second time she did she's really annoying me. I said, why can't you just say even thank you very much indeed for avoiding what happened there as opposed to... I said, look at the space I had to break. <laughs> so when a third time happened, we opened the door and she had bought me from Marks & Spencer's a melon, pineapple and aloe vera drink, right? <laughs>
1: she knows you so well. Wouldn't be
2: a Coke from her, right? You know. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm wearing... How could she get you so wrong? I'm wearing white chinos, right? So... I lift this and it spills over my toes as I'm getting out, and I may have let out an expletive or something, say, right, look look what's happening. But her reaction to everything is instead of saying, What's wrong with you? She she panics, she goes, What's wrong? What's wrong? It's as if I'm now hemorrhaging or something's wrong <laughs> with me, right? So she begins to panic. So she starts shouting at me because I raised my voice through saying, you know, this stuff had spilled to me as I was trying to get out of the car. So we end up, you know, we end up having these I don't respect her because she panics. She is a complete panic merchant, and I can't, I, I don't panic. I can't have people who panic. But you married her. You've a child together. You've been together like, for
1: 20 odd years. Although I love
2: and adore her, she's like having bought a horse, a racehorse, which when you go up to it to offer it a sugar lump and pet it on the nose, you don't know if it's going to rear up and kick you, <laughs> bite you. <laughs> or just lick the sugar lump out of your hand. You have no idea what's going to happen. And that is the adventure. That is that, the
1: adventure. I was going to say, is that not the excitement of the never knowing quite that, where you stand?
2: I could do without the hassle and I would just like really somebody nice in life, you know. <laughs> but I do respect her and I see it as my duty to you know save some other unsuspecting bloke from this in the future you know and sort of it's my penance it's my crossed bear really (laughs) but she is she's amazing I mean she excites me she brings out the best in me I admire her She's a work ethic and rate that I've never seen like but all for her family not for herself Mm. she's not one of these people that says well get me on this or do that or you know
1: I want that handbag
2: that yeah, holiday. No, There's never no, been a driver. She doesn't ask. She doesn't ask for anything. You know, she's she's um, you know, she she's an admirable person. She really is an admirable person. I I reckon, if this was the Second World War, she would be building Spitfires. No, she'd be flying Spitfires. There really, that's go. what she'd be doing. Yeah. yeah, you know, she's she's an amazing person. I think that's
1: a greater compliment than the um, than the horse analogy. <laughs>
2: Have you ever seen her teeth? <laughs> she has got the biggest teeth. <laughs> horse teeth. But she's beautiful. She is beautiful. She's a fine filly.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
1: Okay, question number three.
0: Yeah.
1: As a master interviewer and as somebody who remains infinitely curious and interested, I wanted to know who would you most like to sit opposite with a free reign to ask anything? And what would you ask
2: them? Hmm. Maybe Pippa Middleton's and Kate Middleton's mother. Carol? Yeah. And I'd say... Come on. Did you plan it? Was it all set up? (laughs) How important was it for you that Kate ended up with William? Do you Um, think so? No, I'm not saying that. I'm the interviewer. I'm only asking. It's not matter what I think. I'm only asking. There are those who would say. So tell me. Was it when were you first aware of the royals? What made you think you had a royal connection? What happened when they did get together? What was your advice to them? What was it like on make, meet, meeting um, Queenie and Prince Philip? Yeah. Um, How has it changed your life? Have you cashed in on being connected to the royals? Well, arguably,
1: a- they can't, or they haven't. That's interesting you know Of all the people, I never thought, I would never have predicted that you would have gone there.
2: Who that. would you have predicted?
1: Uh, a footballer you know or I mean, a politician it, it,
2: it. well politicians don't inspire me you know you you talked about passion earlier on and i think life's very dull if you're not passionate about something you're not passionate about your music if you're not passionate about your family if you're not passionate about your football team if you're not passionate about your heroes i think you know i i'm passionate about so many things mm. surely Surely, I can't imagine what it's like not to be passionate. I mean, sometimes I can get hot-headed about something or argumentative about something, but it's because I'm passionate and I care. And I mean, I'll say this about broadcast, what we do. Broadcast to me, it was just like a vision. It was I could see it straight away. And it is the easiest thing I will ever do, made difficult by people who either want to seem important or haven't a clue how to do it. So to justify their existence, they will make the whole situation much more complicated than it has to be. Rehearse, 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 rehearse. rehearse. As you never said, rehearse, do well, you? So you're not rehearsing for me, who are you rehearsing for? Yeah. Not rehearsing for me, if you need to rehearse, you rehearse. But don't, why, why have I got to be involved in it? But then you're deemed to be enfant terrible, you difficult. know. Difficult. Difficult, you know. But I just can't, I just well, can't.
1: Well, I, I can vouch for you, because I've hosted shows like This Morning with you before. And I've watched you. So I've gone in and you were, meanwhile, on air at Sky. So this, mm-hmm. this is the same mentality as doing Good Evening Ulster followed by your bar job. That work ethic same has never left you. Yeah. So you would be, I would be leaving my house watching you on the telly. Then I'd go in and rehearse and you would walk in out of your car and straight on air. And the script was perfunctory. You yes. don't need the script because you know what you're doing. You yes, are a cause master. Because I live,
2: I live and breathe at twenty four hours a day. Other people will go and do other things, and then they will need to learn their questions and their brief and things. But I'm listening to the radio. I'm reading the newspapers. Mm. I'm watching the soap operas. Yeah. You got it all. You don't there. switch off. You don't stop. You're you're always doing it. So it may be difficult to other people, but. It's not difficult yeah. to me. You can always get better and you can always learn. And I want to be, why are we concentrating this when we should be making this better or that better? Mm-hmm. And I've always, I mean, that sounds quite big headed. But, you know, I always, I look at that and I think, this is not rocket science. This is not what my father did, which was be a master to, carpet fitter. But or to whatever. some it
1: is, because yeah. some people find it hard to speak publicly. But, I mean, I can only say, it. I, I, find it hard I remember to speak the publicly. first time I came, no, you don't. Um, I remember the first time I came off air with you, and we'd done two and a bit hours live, and I phoned Dylan, who is both of our agents now, and he said, how was that? I said, it was like a magical carpet ride, Mm. and that's what broadcasting with you is like. You know, my dad's van was
2: called the magic carpet.
1: Was it? Yeah. But you are. You were my magic carpet ride, and I just it was like training with an athlete. It's beautiful. And I loved it because I thought, how am I going to keep a pace? He doesn't use the script, and, I, and then you, you taught me step away from the script. Yeah. You don't need it either. Anybody can
2: read the script, exactly. and that's why. And if you read the script, I said, I remember Ruth and I, who never listens to anything I say. But I remember having this really stern look in her eyes, and I'll say, I'll tell you what: you read the script if you want, but they can replace you with anybody because it's the same script, different presenter.
1: But the bits in between, you have to put your own secret sauce on.
2: It's that communication you try and get with the audience if you are allowed to. I mean, the people I would sack in TV straight away are presenters that come on a show, usually local news, and say, hello, good evening, and welcome to the show. Too pleased to be there. If you're too pleased to be there, get out. You shouldn't be there. The loveliest people, my, my humour tends to be cynical, you know, type sort of Cutting. sarcastic sort yeah. of humour, uh, looking at the ridiculous, so not kiddies TV presenting. <laughs> too many presenters on TV nowadays have graduated from kids TV and it shows. That's my view. But I can't do, I've got to. You don't learn.
1: do a big hello at the top uh, of the show. You go, how you?
2: Uh, Well, you know, listen. If you got on an airplane and your captain said to you, Hello, good morning to you. Well, we're going to Alicante today and fingers crossed it's going to be great. We should be flying at a height of 36,000 feet. And I'm so excited. I hope you're excited too. I would be thinking, get me off this. That's a brilliant
1: analogy. Exactly.
2: All you want to hear... Is the pilot saying, Hello, good morning to you. Uh, this is uh, BA flight 1416. Uh, We're f- taking off to Alicante very shortly. That should be a good journey. Uh, fasten your seatbelts, enjoy the ride. That's all I want to hear. Yeah. Thank you and good night. Yeah. That's the way Des Lynham introduced you know, his sport programmes and things. he
1: was good, wasn't he? Oh,
2: absolute master. But all these people who are just too giddy, too over the moon for being there, for me and all the team here. I don't see all the team. I only see you, you the only person there. What are you mentioning all the team for? What team? Who are this team? But, you know, why is that cycle not broken? And sport, why is sport funny? And now let's go over to Ginny Marie Hickenbottom with the <laughs> the sport, you know. And she goes, hello, Hi! England, we're beaten in the ashes today. And you go, what's funny about that? It's Why are you smiling? At that? It's because it's a sport. You're not smiling. <laughs> That's the end of the world for some people. Yeah. So I, I have this... <laughs> Sort of very sardonic view of things, but I'm actually uh, I'm funny. I'm funny because I can laugh at the ridiculousness you of You are stupidly all. It's funny easy. Sometimes. It's easy. You yeah. and me are sitting here talking now, and this is what we do for a living. Yeah. Thank you so
1: much Thank for coming you, on. Thank I love so talking to you, and I could talk to you forever.
2: Another glass of wine?
1: You know. Yeah. Go on then.
2: <laughs> come on. Let's have a lock in. It's not much left. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And as always, White Wine Question Time has been produced by Caitlin Mercer for Yahoo, alongside me, Kate Thornton. Music has been provided by Andy Bell. You can find his new solo album, uh, Glock, uh, out now on iTunes and Spotify. If you'd like to get in touch, remember, we're always here. You can email us at whitewinequestiontime at yahoo.com, or we're on Twitter and Instagram at whitewineqt, where you can unlock secret video content from these episodes. You can find me on Instagram as Thornton. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, do as we do. And please drink responsibly. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.